Hello and welcome back to the Mage, the Hero Described podcast. This is episode 21 and things are going to be shook up a little bit as the podcast comes back from two and a half, almost three years long of a hiatus. Going to cover that in the upcoming episode, get into some details there, uh, but we're coming back as a vodcast. If you're listening to this as a podcast, just follow the link to the YouTube channel in the show notes. And um, in this first episode, I think you're going to enjoy it. We've got some guest hosts, Eli Schwab, Ben Granoff, both from the Devil in Detail podcast, the Grendel podcast. We'll go into that once the episode starts. In the meantime, if you enjoy this, as I said before, please, in the podcasts, give us five stars, give us a review if you like this, if you're happy to see the podcast come back, love to hear from you. And if you're watching this on YouTube, just go down below, give us a thumbs up, love to get some comments, always open to feedback and thoughts about both the podcast and what you enjoy about Matt Wagner's Mage series. The whole story. Trilogy's done, so uh, give your thoughts about everything, but love to hear your thoughts about this episode. And with uh, no further ado, I'm going to drop you on in to my discussion with Eli and Ben. Enjoy. Have a great one. Stay excellent. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to Mage, the Hero Described podcast. We've got a new look, new approach, doing this as a is a vodcast now, and you can see on the screen that for this kind of revisit, what I think this uh, the podcast has been off the air for almost two years now since Mage Three wrapped up, and I've got uh, Eli and Ben from the amazing Devil in Detail vodcast podcast. You guys rock! Um, I'm gonna so just some groundwork for everybody here. This is a reread going to be going through, starting back up, going to be going through The Hero Discovered. Yeah, got it right there. Got the original. Got those early 90s, mid-90s reprint uh, there. And um, just going to be going through. So there's going to be, like the previous one, spoilers are going to abound all the way through the entire series. You know, no holds barred. Nothing is uh, off the table. Um, so with that, guys, for anybody who somehow doesn't know who you are, doesn't know about the Grendel Devil in Detail uh, vodcast and podcast. Why don't you guys uh, introduce yourselves? Totally, man. We're, we're, in Eli's, we're in Eli's cave. He's the impresario, publisher, cartoonist, writing, and mastermind behind Cosmic Lion Productions. What else do you do? Um, I also make my own comic called Monkey Lion about an intergalactic Afro-funk band on tour through the galaxy. We put out this fan zine for Grendel for our podcast. A must have. A must have. Not for sale. Please leave a five star review and email me. So cool. Uh, so uh, amazing. Tons of good easy. stuff in it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we started the Devil in Detail um, because we became friends. We found out we both loved Grendel. I loved the the Mage the Hero described as well. I listened to it every episode as it came out. I loved it. And um, so I was like, we should do that with Grendel. We found out that we were yeah. like long lost soulmates. You were the inspiration to do the project, Kevin. <laughs> Sweet man. At least, at least some small good came out of it. <laughs> oh, I think a lot of good did. Y'all should make sure you go back and listen to that. And uh, follow me at Cosmic Line on Instagram for more or CosmicLineProductions.com. What about you, Ben? What uh, else do you do? I, I do a podcast with you. 
That's true, yes. I'm a cartoonist. I teach storyboarding at the New York Film Academy. Right. And I am delighted to have spent the better part of a week here in Los Angeles with Eli. We had an incredible trip. Yeah, we, uh, we had amazing bin diving. I found a large stack of books that was on my list to get and have an even larger stack that I found the entire run of Mage the Hero Defined in the dollar bin. One, one to ten, actually, not the full run, but he means that in a good way. Yeah, and yeah, no, that's great. I mean, and Grand. almost the full run of Grendel Volume Two. So we have lots of giveaway comics for yeah. this podcast and our own. <laughs> oh man, um, and I, I was watching that uh, Dollar Bin uh, live cast that you did the other day, and yeah. Ben, you were like diving into those old Marvel epics it was looking like. I, I uh, recognized a few. I meant to grab one or two out. Um, I recognized that Light and Darkness War and Blood, which was only four issues. That was Mateus's thing. Four uh-huh. issues. That was huge when that came out. It was a lot of people started doing that. I think you referred to as a, like a whole watercolor kind of approach. Uh, yeah. That was big for a minute and uh, kind of gave it a an air of respectability and, and uh, art. Yeah. I art. only know that movement from like the very end, like Books of Magic, like yeah. when when it sort of moved back into like Charles Vessel illustration, like where he kind of took the reins over that, and him and PCR. And then the watercolor guys, a lot of them do children's books or other things or, you know, John J. Muth and all those guys have other careers outside of comics. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I mean, it was it was an interesting movement. I remember all I remember now is that at the time, and granted, I think I was end of high school, you know, at that time when those came out and it was all very heady. It was very different than, you know, much like, you know, like Mage. It was very different than anything else that was typically out there by the big two, usually. Um, I don't know how it stands up over time. I mean, it was very it was very purposefully deep and a different storytelling approach, which was exciting for the time. Yeah, I think the line is a testament to Archie and how he saw comics and how he looked at storytelling and how they tried to be on the cutting edge of color and production sometimes. There's uh, Steel Grip Starkey, number one, has like a brochure tip in. Oh, I like that. Uh, yeah, you look, yeah. Those are fun. It's all kind of, you know, fat, I mean, I can talk about Epic's another podcast. Let's talk about Mage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> I, just wanted to, I just wanted to give yeah. a nod to it. I mean, great stuff. It looks like you guys have had great fun. Um, so tell me, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and go back and forth with the two of you. Eli, let's start with you. I'd like to know your guys' mage story before we go on into it. Everybody's got a mage story. How did you, how did you come to mage and you know, what do you enjoy about it that it's interesting enough for you to decide to come onto a, onto a podcast and talk about it? I like, I feel like I don't really remember when I first encountered it. But but I do I do know that I th- I'm fairly certain I came to it through like other other stuff that I liked. I think like when I was growing up, I, I felt like I grouped like Madman and Grendel and Mage and and these types of books like these uh, the yeah like Maverick Underground uh, um, heroes together. So like I feel like I got into like Madman and the Jam those book that book first. And that kind of turned me on to other things. I think like Kevin Smith helped me get turned on a little bit. I think maybe even like I love Chasing Amy. Well, how and, old are you, and, by the way? Well, how, oh, I'm 37. So I feel like we're the 
in when Mage Two happened, we were about your age. Right when Mage Two happened, happened, that's when I was like buying it mm-hmm. off the rack. Yeah, that was what, that was my time for it. Um, yeah, I think so. Like you know, Banky in in it was wearing a Madman shirt, and I think I looked it up and I mistook it for a Mage shirt, and then I ended up buying a bunch of. I bought this this exact one, mm-hmm. and, I, and I started reading, and I was just like, oh, okay, I love this. Even if I was wrong with the shirt, I love this. You really tracked it down. Yeah. Yeah, you tracked down something that you love. Yeah, and it's then great. I got this shirt. I've had this shirt, shirt since uh, high school, and um, I, I think I just started to just dig it. I loved the art. It seemed, like, um, accessible and inspiring. The eyebrow-to-eye thing that Matt does a lot mm-hmm. in the old thing – I mean, I copped that immediately and started doing that in my art. So it was just just a gradual thing. And it wasn't like the older cousin turned you on to it. It was just kind of like I picked up these little seeds to to, to, to like kind of get there myself. It was, it was cool. So, and yeah, you know, another thing with Chasing Amy, um, I think at the very beginning in the opening credits to that, you actually get a mage call out and a Matt Wagner call out something about like, you know, Matt Wagner is back show flashes through in the opening credits on that as well. Oh, I think so. Like, cause they, they're panning through all the, you know, the comic book convention and you got actual Mike Allred in there. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Ben? The, I had a retailer who was like, he was only not awful to me because he turned me on to this book when I was, when I was young, he was like, not a nice guy. Um, but he did have the taste to put me onto this and Frank Miller and all that. So I got the Batman faces trade in like seventh grade. Mm. I remember taking into the art class and like drawing big, you know, Batman figures out of it and stuff like that. And then when mage two came out, the guy just said, Oh, I, here's what I like and I want to sell. And he pitched me, all the heroes of myth and legend are reincarnated to fight ultimate evil throughout the time. And I was, I was like, Oh, that sounds awesome. <laughs> and when I, and I already liked like Matt's storytelling style. I don't know if I had it in my mind if they're the same guy, but what I've always liked about, about mage is how really takes its time. And it marries like the things that I like formally about comics and character study, but also that like the layouts always reflect the kinetic quality of the action. It's very easy to bring it to life in your imagination. Mm-hmm. The contrast between Mage and Wendell is really interesting because, you know, one is super dense and there's lots of stuff happening off camera that you have to, you're delivered an exposition. It's like, oh man, there could be a story about that sometime. But the Mage project, like, they're, they're, they contrast each other so beautifully. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a, um, yeah, I was, I was thinking about that as getting ready for this and listening to some of, you know, your earlier Devil in Detail um, casts. And, you know, some things that occurred to me that are, you know, definitely contrasty is inside Mage. And, we'll, you know, when we take a look at it, no narrative. You know, there's there's no boxes providing any third person, you know, yeah. omniscient overview. Um, only for a short period of time do you actually have thought bubbles. Um, and I think um, with an interview with Matt at the close of uh, at the close of Mage Three, at the close of the series, I think I had a chance to ask him about that, and he raised up. I mean, largely a function of early on, Kevin doesn't really have many people to bounce 
dialogue off of. So for a while it was necessary to kind of move things along and then, you know, dropped away. Um, one thing that I think is interesting that the two of them do have in common, and I think this is, might be an early right, a young writer thing, is of course, both in many ways are, one is explicitly and the other one is kind of treated as an orphan, right? Early on, you don't have to worry about how do I write family? How do I deal with all those complications? They're just these two different guys in these yeah. situations. One lone characters. Yeah, and there are themes that run through the different Grendel characters that there's that all kind of stem from Hunter traits that are that Kevin also has sort of experienced too. So you can you the young writer pulling themselves out into these characters. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean he said a lot about how these two reflect different aspects of him. Um why don't we uh you know some of the history. Let's take a talk about some of the history of Mage. Thanks for thanks for sharing those stories. I mean I'll really thumbnail for anybody who hasn't listened to earlier versions of this podcast. I think in an early one I mentioned I was just walking down a street. I was probably 17 years old, maybe 18, walking down the street in somewhere in New York, past a comic store, and it must have just wrapped up. And in retrospect, I think that I had seen earlier issues at my local comic store, uh, but maybe some of the earlier issues hadn't caught my eye. Um, there was a lot going on there in the mid, in the mid early eighties, but um, I was still coming out of that very, that very Marvel driven universe. I mean, I had yeah. been introduced, I, I had been weaned on, you know, the burn Claremont run in X-Men and things like that. And, you know, during the eighties, there were lots of exciting things. I wish, I wish I still had my few first prints of, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles ended up selling those way too early. Um, ah. But <laughs> the um, I'm walking past and I saw they had on display in the window issue 14 and issue 15. And the covers of those, it was the cover of, um, and actually, no, it had to be 13 and 14. Uh, because the one that caught my eye was the big no cover, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. just kind of stands out, you know, yeah. and um Grabbed both of those in an instant, had no idea what I was going to get into. And, uh, you know, I was off to the races from there. But it took me years, literally, I'd say two to three years to be able to finally finish my collection. And it wasn't until I stopped into some random comic shop in San Francisco. I mean, it was just wherever I went, I would just drop into comic stores randomly trying to fill in the gaps. There was no yeah. internet. There was, you know, that was it. Oh, yeah. I had one comic store where I grew up. So, um, you know, went in, managed to find issue number seven. It was my last grab. Um, that's, that's like how at Spiro's Heroes and we were bin diving on the way out. One of the books that was like on the top of my list that completes a run, Squadron Supreme number two, was just staring at me and just doing it out. That's <laughs> awesome. That's a great feeling. Yeah, it, was, it was great. Also, if people haven't listened to to your podcast previously, definitely do. But the Matt interview you do have at the end of the first season is so good. It's one of the best interviews with Matt ever done. Thanks, Matt. He was he was amazingly generous, and you guys have had some great runs with him and talks yeah. with him and and the rest of the crew that worked on Grendel. Uh, let's talk about how Mage started with Matt and you know, just to give people some background, how this thing came to be. And you've got some great stuff in the back there. I've got some, some close-ups that I'll, that I'll share. He tells the story there. But, you know, Kamiko, he was with Kamiko, um, started by Bill Cochinata, uh, 
Gary, I don't know if it's Gary or Jerry uh, Giovanco, um, and they had done some of the black and whites and they were ready to go to color. They had Evangeline all set up and ready to go and they needed another color book to go. Grendel had been so well received and the way things were printed, gang printed, I think they call it, they needed another book. Came to Matt and it sounds like Matt had, he says as much in the foreword to Mage One, to, to the first book of Mage uh, Hero Discovered, that this is an idea that had been percolating for a while. I think he says it at the beginning of that one, that this is an, a book that he's started and stopped and he had been he working on he it. He would never see it evolve into anything remotely enough to publish. But right. He, like it was tossing it around so much. And uh, he had started working on something called Dragon, you know, uh, minus minus the pen, you know, with the with the Arthurian connections, uh, Dragon. And oh, cool. he showed in that, uh, and what you've got right there, Ben, I think he shows these two snippets at. of pages yeah. from that. Wow. Um, I had forgot about this. He's got the ring. And voila. Sweet. And the bubbles, the magic bubbles are there. Yeah, good call. Good call. He's got the magic bubbles. It's a, yeah, it's a very different approach and, and art style than also what, uh, you know, the direction Mage would end up taking. Um, but around that time, Camelot 3000 comes out. Yeah. And so he's like, well, this other artist, his own words is really great. They're already doing this idea, but another light that went off for him, he's mentioned in interviews is that just, it was, I don't want to say boring, but it was plastic. It was a plastic and predictable approach to the mythic figures that he wanted to bring to life. Hmm. And Camelot um, 3000 was? Yeah, the, three, the, the Camelot 3000. I found an interview. He calls it, I mean, maybe, you know, the typical comic approach. He's actually not saying that uh, Camelot 3000 was. I want to correct that here. The typical comic approach to mythic figures was plastic oh, and predictable. I, sure, I, don't sure. want, I don't want to put words in his mouth about a specific sure. work. His yeah. comment about I mean, specific. I found, I found Camelot 3000 unreadable, though gorgeous <laughs> to look at. Like one of the best looking books I've ever found, but I, I found it impenetrable. Yeah, I mean, it was Arthur this. against aliens, right? <laughs> I have no idea. Couldn't tell you what it's about. Let's yeah, see. I haven't read it. I haven't read it. All right, so every so the mythic approach doesn't have enough soul. Yeah, he wanted to bring it to life. It lost mm -hmm. its, you know, what is it? Was it I, I, maybe it's Ezra Pound? You know, the the wine has no energy. You know, the ritual has no spirit. Um, I'm 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 really laying on a different influence and direction here, but no, I mean but that was really the good. feeling I got. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a good call out. Um, and then yeah, it's, it's funny how the pen, the dragon stuff. Sorry, Kevin. The yeah, dragon stuff it. looks like. Um, just a little bit like more evolved than the Grendel archive material. Yeah. Than the primer stuff. It's just, you know, it's like less um, manga, like less game. Tezuka. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's in, a, it must be living in this in between space. It sounds like he had finished up with where Grendel was at least so far, put it on the shelf, continuing yeah. to grow. I mean, all these are growth era artworks and pieces for Matt. So then he says his first sighting of Kevin Matchstick, and you've got these in there as well, I think, um, Ben, is uh, his first sighting of Mirth and Kevin Matchstick Whoa. comes along. And uh, he was apparently at Penn's Landing in uh, Philadelphia, sketching no real intent, no real ideas, just kind of zenning out. 
and uh, letting things come to him. And he describes these. Um, now, you know, there's the hardbound editions of Mage. In, in the introductory letter to the first uh, hardbound edition, he describes saying, hey, one of them was this punky looking, poncho ponchoed, leg wrapped, and generally sprightly street magician. The other was myself, tired, skeptical, and mundane. This was a side of myself that I'd never been able to draw before. This then was my first sight of Kevin Matchstick. Wow. And then he says, now this I don't think is the first one. Uh, and, you know, interviews can be a little bit conflicting, not trying to necessarily put together an exact timeline. But in that same volume, he says, when I next saw Kevin Matchstick, he had changed. Still remarkably earthy, he now wore the gaudiness and spectacle of his childhood fantasies on his very chest. Though he looked out at the world through those jaded eyes, he was brave enough to wear his hopes out in the open. This time he had a black t-shirt with a white lightning bolt down the front. Here then was the hero I was looking for inside me. And ah, cool. I think in an interview, it might even be in a comment inside that uh, issue that you've got there, Ben, he mentions that he had even added the lightning bolt as an afterthought. It just kind of, it wasn't planned. It just kind of came. Well, it really ties the whole thing together. Yeah. Well, he said his, the influences out. of his youth. So does that mean you know, like, like Shazam or like another character that had like a similar? Yeah, doesn't it kind of look like an early appearance Shazam, like because it's narrow at the top, and then it, that one right there, and then yeah. like this is closer to Shazam, right? But maybe maybe when he was like, well, I'm not getting season the letters. I'm gonna leave it to <laughs> we can't fool Shazam. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's also I think uh, you know a Captain Marvel, you know, kind. Of, I mean, either I guess yes, that's uh, his real name anyway. All, all those, Shazam. yeah, I'm yeah. Um, it's been. I, I think. I think I was knee high to a grasshopper the last time I read. I, I read any Shazam, so it yes. gets all blended together. Um, now about Mirth, he mentions though, this was a purposeful approach to say let's go young instead of old, a youthful energy, right. kind of to help, you know, balance out to break through Kevin's cynicism. And you can see here he's got this red poncho that he uh, states in an in an interview, I think, I'm not sure it's in that volume, that this got changed to blue to do a subtle visual tie between the blue of Kevin's blue jeans and Mirth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just to give a, give a little bit of a tie there. Interesting. Bit of unity. Yeah, bring it all together. So, um, so let's, uh, so let's get on into it. There's, um, I've got a ton of notes here and I'm going to be careful about, about how far I go on into them. Uh, but you guys want to dive on into the issue? Let's dive. Okay, let me bring up, I'm going to bring up here a, because uh, one of the things that was great about this first series, and Kamiko loved to do this, was these, um, was these big wraparound covers. Right. And you guys have been highlighting those in Grendel. Uh, oh, yeah, I had this in here because obviously, you know, talking about, uh, you know, Matt putting himself into Kevin, and you can just see these side by side here. There's right. that old... Uh, that old comic creator trading card image there of Matt. Yeah. Next to Matchstick. Very Kevin, yeah. But here we go. Here's uh, here's that full cover of this issue here. Nice, yeah. This is the only time that they add the like blurb on the back that gives a little bit of the, the thing of what's going on. But that makes sense for a first issue of a brand new series. This is the first time I'm seeing this wraparound. Oh, really? <laughs> I own the book. I just never, it never, it doesn't, hasn't occurred to me. It's only it's half really wraparound, I'd say, because it's... You want to read the copy? It's too small for me to see. 
In the eternal struggle, it is fact that men need heroes more than heroes need men. Kevin Matchstick is needed. He doesn't know it. Thrust into a battle that he doesn't understand and experiencing a power that he can't control, Kevin is the hero reborn, alone in the world and lost in a confusion spawned by the dark power of the minions of the Umbra Sprite. Kevin discovers that there is a comrade for him, Mirth, the enigmatic and evasive world mage. Yeah, a little marketing material on the cover. Mm-hmm. Sell the book. Looks great. Sell the book. Yeah. There's a few. There's a few of those. I don't know where they drop off. I've I got to take a look at it. I know it's on a few other issues at least. Oh, okay. Um, but they've all got these wonderful wraparound covers that um, uh, that are just glorious to look at. Um, and which are soon spiked down by the uh, Grendel Devil in Detail uh, or uh, <laughs> Devil uh, by the Deed. De- Devil by the Deed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ads for the backups. Yeah, that'll run right on in here. But it, that's so skillfully done. It's just like this bookmark, you know, kind of Absolutely. sliver down the side. Um, so let's get back on over to the issue here and take a look in. Get inside. And this is one of those things that, you know, you don't get in the reprints. Is these great forwards that Matt does. Uh, you'd already read some of the, uh, some of the information uh, but talking about just the hero, you know, he has to act and act again. And there's some discussion that Matt did in some interviews talking about, you know, the concept of a hero. And he, he gets really specific in the foreword to issue two. But just that, um, and I think this was even in his interview with the Telegraph Wire with uh, Diana Schutz, where he's talking about, um, you know, we all have circumstances that we react to. You know, we don't necessarily set out to be a hero. We have circumstances that are thrust upon us that we have to be heroic in response to. I'm paraphrasing wildly here. but um, And we see that very quickly when we open the book. Like, it yeah. happens quick. And the only other person on these earlier issues working with uh, Matt is uh, Robert Pinaha. Is it P- Do either of you know how to correctly pronounce his last name? I think Diana said Pinaha. Yeah. Pinaha? Yeah. yeah. And he apparently had been sent by Kamiko the first two pages of both Mage and Evangeline, and he said as much that he had hoped that he would get Evangeline uh, because it was it was what he was used to, you know, it was action driven, right. etc. And there's uh, later on I'll share a story about what he had to say in uh, one of the intros to one of the other books, and we get that great outrageous slings and arrows, what's going to run through all of the uh, all of the books those references to a particular different Shakespearean work. And, and both Kevin and Mirth kind of having their own symbol. You know, you, Mirth doesn't right. wear anything on him in a superhero fashion, but you see this kind of right there, well, almost, it doesn't go all the way down, but you get that oh, little blaze mark. And they changed that in the digital version too. Mirth's logo looks a little bit different. There's a bigger shine. I love you, Jeremy Cox, but I don't like the digital colors. I like it. It's what I it's what I was used to. It's what I, it's what <laughs> okay. I missed it. So I I don't I wouldn't say I don't mind it at all, but I I you know, guess people say that this whole book, all the Matt early work, people are like, well, it's very raw. Like they, oh, Dave Sim at twenty one is very raw. Yeah, but it's good. You want to watch him get better, and it gets yeah. better so quickly. Yeah, and the storytelling is so good that never once have I looked at this work and been like, "Oh, it's yeah, it's raw. It's not formed." Oh, give me a break. <laughs> the storytelling and the editing is so exciting. Yeah, it comes to life in our imaginations beautifully. Agreed. And it works with the story so well. Um, I 
you know, when I finally went, I mean, I read the end of the story first, and then I went back and mm -hmm. discovered it. And when I went mm -hmm. back to issue one, when I got issue one and two, I was like, I was really confused at the difference in the artwork. I had no idea who Matt was. I didn't know this was one of his, you know, first works that he was a right. developing artist. So I, I really had to settle on at the time. I was like, oh, this must be on purpose. We are. And the fact that either way, it doesn't matter. It is. We're seeing his allegorical analog grow into his power as he's yes. growing into his power. Yeah. I love seeing that too. Mm -hmm. um, and the colors are very different than obvious. I mean, these are just, you know, much more muted. Uh, colors are so important to, you know, well, we'll talk about that in another time when, when things start to change up with the series. We have Kevin coming along and out of the blue, running into this guy on the street. And, um, well, you can't just, forget that he's singing the Stray Cats and that singing a song or a song opening each book is going to continue to the end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this is, yeah, that's Stray Cats he's singing there and they bump into each other, but just randomly, he just spills his guts. Um, yeah, yeah. I was thinking Kevin's like coming home, he's like walking home from the bar or something. Like he's got a bit of a buzz on or something because like, He's walking. He's got kind of like a funny face. Like, what is he doing out there in the middle of the night singing by himself? He must be coming up from the bar. We started out with a, a theater motif with Shakespeare. The acting in this opening sequence, it's like they're on a stage. Uh, and, and, uh -huh. and, and Kevin's, Kevin's face does a, a lot of heavy lifting here. It's a, it's a real cartooning special effect on display. Yeah. That's a great call. And, and, and there is, I mean, throughout this, the faces, even this early on to go back to what you were mentioning there, Ben, I mean, the expressions and what gets conveyed in looks or, you know, uh, glances, grimaces, yeah. body posture, this all feels very cinematic to me. Also, this is not posturing thing. And, and you know, Ben, you yeah. do so much with um, storyboarding. Um, what are your thoughts? I mean, you made a reference to this before as we'll go through this. Every time I look at this, this feels, yeah, I think, live performance is great i also it just feels very cinematic to me in a way that typical capes and cowls action does not i think that was what turned us on you know we were all like marvel zombie kids and this just it just opened you know doors of perception and all that <laughs> i'm still mostly like you know the lighting is very on point and very dramatic these complicated angles of Ke like kevin's like you're looking up his nostrils and then down his nose and it's all it's all very very well constructed i don't know it's 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 paced out nicely it might be one of those things where if you film this word for word it might not have the same effect watching and hearing other people do it not only because it's written by a very young man 30 years ago but because it really is designed to be a comic you know that's always its first consideration is how do i use the form to to can visually communicate with complete clarity so that the entire audience is always in consensus about what's going on. Well, we're all, we're all sharing this dream together. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's being conveyed here by Kevin, whether it's a barroom confidential where you'll say things to a stranger that you would never say to mm -hmm. somebody close to you, whether it's, um, you know, sometimes, and this is a little bit closer to the role between the characters, sometimes you just meet somebody and the two of you just click immediately and yeah. you can just talk about anything. Um, 
But when we go through all these things, are you alone? Yes, I'm completely parents loving, but basically blind, friends, idiots, lovers, and then really strong. I've had a few in my pitiful little life. All have betrayed me. That's a strong, that's a strong word there. Yeah. Um, but another interview, um, when he's <laughs> talking true. about, you know, the concept of Grendel being the demon of society's mediocrity, there's some interesting thoughts because this all comes from the same time frame for Matt where he's talking about things like, you know, he had once responded to somebody asking about that saying, now, if that's not an unfiltered expression of teen angst, I don't know what is. Yeah. And in many ways talking about, you know, how he was portraying these fantastical versions of the way he saw the world in so many ways, right? Coming from this rural environment. Um, and when I think about like, okay, so how does that urban mystique from Grendel transfer on over to Mage? Uh, in the same area, he's talking about, hey, as an only child, he was an only child. So I'm sure I felt quite a me against the world vibe most of my youth. Not that he was an utter loner. He had friends and was pretty social. But let's face it, who doesn't feel like the rest of the world just doesn't understand you during those painful adolescent years, yeah. right? So, you know, he's taking a look at all that. And I think we see that attitude i mean especially look at that first panel rebel rebel you know he's singing yeah. he's singing about rebellion yeah. right from the start well the difference between this and say pete townsend who never stopped writing about teenage angst until he was in his 40s <laughs> is that you know in matt's 40-year career he's moved he's moved through all the cycles of his life and that's one of the things that this book does yeah does so well another great contrast between grendel and mage is that mage from the start, like Cerebus, had a very specific structure of how it was going to be released. Really, really clever. 315 issue arcs, and I will take as long as I need to take for my life to tell its story for me to interpret it. Yeah. And Grendel's just a free-for-all. Yeah. Could be anything. It could be a novel. It could be a mini, a one-shot, yeah. a crossover. An yeah. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Let's keep on, let's keep on going here. I want to respect your guys' time. Um, all right, so just great impact here. Kevin keeps moving on, gets questioned if he's so sure that his life is so very little, and yeah. you know, Mark's that like, great. I don't think it. <laughs> I'm completely ineffectual, and then but you know, you know who's not ineffectual is Jeremy Cox on this. Uh, one yeah, that is one. he's really got it. And, I mean, and the way that he treats Kevin in the foreground uh, has has a lot of, you know, cinematography oomph to it. Yeah, I like, I, I mean, I like the the feel of the, like, 80s coloring. It puts it in a place of time. It cements it as, like, an 80s underground know, book to me. But, like, that's okay, true. it does look cool there. It's 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 like like a lot of times with Jeremy Cox, it's a mixed bag. Yeah. Like, he, look at him getting chunky here in 1998. I know, yeah, right? he's so doing, he, like, he is doing urban Brandon stuff. Chunks. Yeah. And one thing that happens to Matt that also happened with Kevin Eastman is that, never having like lived in New York City or you know being new to Philadelphia there's all this minutia of detail within like the setting that it's not quite there yet yeah these are very it feels like a stage again yeah, exactly maybe that's intentional I think yeah. or that's a good reading it feels like a stage yeah someone write the stage production of mage number one <laughs> that that in, that especially these early ones. I mean, they are. There's they're like yeah. they're not exactly set pieces, but they are. You could you could definitely see you these requirements. Yeah. So were this you is referring a stage and a, and a wall? Ben, were you it's referring not... to this uh, to this spread? Yeah, yeah everyone uses the magic yeah, and he yeah. sprays it out green. Yeah, that, that's a huge difference for sure between Jeremy Cox and I mean Matt did the original colors, huh? 
Yeah, yeah Matt it, did the original, co- did the colors throughout. And, and he uh, only really brought on, I mean, like Sam Keaton the bit, but that was it. Uh, the, all yeah. the rest he did. And Joe. Joe Matt? Joe colored a bunch of this. Oh, Joe Matt colored? I mean, so, later on. Yeah, in, in two, yeah, but in, in series, in, in, in the first the series, yeah. the color he said you know he had a choice was he going to bring somebody on for color or to do inks because there was just so much going on he couldn't you know and he decided he wanted to keep the color and you know when he brings in those airbrushes later which i don't remember right. it was a kind of pen right an airbrush that he could change out the colors quickly because you yeah, it's a like marker like compatible yeah huh. yeah oh so you like, that still blow though right yeah, yeah it's still hooked up to the compressor it's just yeah. it's the reservoir isn't liquid it's housed inside of a marker. So it's a much cleaner process. So we'll get to see that in some future episodes. So Kevin moves along, uh, sees a mugging, great cynical attitude, great mugging. Well, this is what I wanted to. This is what we were talking about. This is like, and Ben was saying earlier when we were reading together, he says like, you know, he's lamenting the fact that he's like, oh God, uh, uh. But then he interrupts oh, his thought. Just what I wanted to see. Yeah, but he interrupts his thought and immediately jumps into action. You know, and and that's the like where I see as the turning point as him from being just yeah. Kevin on the street to like the pin dragon is yeah. bubbling up inside of him. You want to see a place where Jeremy Cox is doing a really nice job telling a story? I do think it's that in panel. I'm on page five <laughs> in Jeremy Cox. Uh-huh. Panel two yeah. has Matt doing the, the take. Sheet. Yeah. Same yellow orange burst as this panel, oh, where he continues to realize, and then the burst that comes on him with these like manga speed line effects is green. So it's like yellow. It's like he's the realization, and then it's the like visual, the thought. visual tie together. Oh, yeah, and so, then that alludes to like the magic coming through. My case for Jeremy Cox will continue to grow. Ah, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I think it's. I think there's I think there's pluses and minuses. I don't think there's any question that he did great work on it and that it adds a lot. You get to revisit it, right? Some of these things like, you know, what's you're telling a bit of a different story with the coloring and the panel yeah. there where he says, oh, Hey, yeah. and he's actually for the first time literally taking action, right? This is this is yeah, exactly this is the first time. That's a that's a great point there, Ben. I think I think coming from the original, you know, you gotta be also whenever something's redone. It's jarring. You're used to. You we see a different choices there also in the uh, in the reaction shot, top right hand mm-hmm. corner there also. Yeah. With the colors. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think even Matt says that he's he doesn't love the colors. Now looking back, I think most artists when they look back at a thirty year old work, they're like, ugh, I don't even want to look at it or whatever. But he's you know for us, he fans, does a nice job on this page, especially in the high angle shot of him walking uh, love it, yeah. vertically down. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that Matt's style in this book. Is obviously more suited to newsprint and something okay, yeah, more yeah. rough-hewn. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm not saying that I don't like the Kimiko, but my rose-colored glasses are, are too strong to not defend this. One. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the honor of this one. This is a very next print that kills. Yeah, them. yeah. All right. Yeah, we all. Yeah, we all have our. We we all have different uh, different different rose-colored glasses frames too. That's a great point, <laughs> depending on our frame of reference here. Um, all right, so we get into action. I think this is like a seven-page fight scene, maybe a little bit right. more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just swamp these. This is, and this is the first sign of that. Just, I'd never seen anybody treat sound effects, and it's throughout the series mm-hmm. quite the way that Matt treats sound effects. They're Definitely. maybe not a character the unto themselves, yeah. but right. They not only are integrated, but they interact mm-hmm. or take out. You know. 
they white out some of the frame yeah. and they when we do our cane in this in this lump panel we would refer to because we're taking someone else's digital lettering and then we carve we we erase into it we call it patching so the way that kevin's his heels and his um and this dust cloud we would call that we would patch the sound effect behind those planes right just really by erasing that a little bit but here you know all of his graphic design shops are on display because it's it's fonts it's like how um uh, like Walt Simonson took Von Bode fonts or Walt Simonson would go look at jam jars and like get fonts from the supermarket and oh, yeah. real graphic design approach. Matt has like lots of different typologies for different types of sounds coming up. All right. Let's, uh, any, any other thoughts on, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to really turn it over. You guys speak the visual and Eli early on, we had talked about this when we first met. Uh, I think I even mentioned it in the original podcast when I was going through uh, hero denied my my comic art vocabulary and frame of reference is uh to quote john baez limited and underfed maybe that's actually bob dylan i'm quoting there anyways so um, but your library quotes is uh top notch (laughs) (laughs) hey i haven't even i haven't even hit my comparison between kevin matchstick and the famous bullfighter manalette i'm telling you (laughs) that's where you shine dude is, is all the monsters and all the mythology this is cool how uh, the grackle frith has blood on its face and that's a red shine absent. Man. So there's really a big yeah. uh, one thing I'd notice is that Jeremy Cox puts his first motion blur. Oh yeah, and takes out the full like blue marker background. Right, and and for my money, I would I, I don't mind the motion blur stuff. Yeah, but I feel like maybe just the can and not the lid. Right, would <laughs> would help sell that a little bit more. I like it's cool with the grackle flints. You would think that um, they would. I guess maybe you're not trying to hide that their their um, the flint right too there. sharp. It's too sharp. It's it too rips sharp. immediately. Yeah, I was wondering. Yeah. All right. So Kev, like he lunges right at him. Then they're like resetting, and they're like, ah. Oh. Then you know this is very what, manga. What is, what is Brendan called? It's a semi, a semi, a spread, semi splash. Yeah. Where there's a splash image that crosses over, but the not water. the whole way. And oh, so it, wait, are a, you on the? Are you on the page? Oh, we didn't get there yet. We didn't get to the next page yet. No, I'm on six. We're still on six. We're still on six. Okay, I'm going back. Hold on a second here. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's a a giant, it's a splash page that crosses the border. There it is. But it's not a full two-page spread. So so it it gives, um, you know, you can really measure the amount of impact between a splash and a double-page spread. Because this one advances 30% to the right. Right. It's a that much more impact. Yeah. Him on top, then they reset, and then the grackle throws the trash can at Kevin with the clang, and then they're really like grappling. They're they're having a real fight, and Kevin, and then as we get over to the next page here, they're fighting. He kind of like, you know, he he goes red or whatever. He kind of he doesn't necessarily black out, but then he punches a hole in the wall, and and that kind of stuns. He stops and he's like, oh shit. That's it, and that's a great reaction shot like we were talking about earlier here um hold on a second here because even is it and jeremy cox kills that panel he does do well on that one hold on i'm bringing it back up for a close-up here it's great being able to do the side by side yeah it's really interesting that you know because kevin is he's like taken aback and then even emil if it is emil where the graphical flip behind him is kind of just like oh shit like what does he know now? Like, did, is this, 
waking up the power in him? Does he know? Does he even get any type of inkling that like he has he has woken up the power? If he, the if he has that fear, he overcomes it because he just goes for the sucker. Well, he immediately gets crunched <laughs> in the face. It's a very like wrestling, like paced choreography yeah, for sure. violence where one guy's on top. Yeah, and they're throwing stuff. A lot of a lot of the great onomatopoeias and uh, effects here. This the panel three with the pop and the, the layering of like the green, then the pop, then Kevin, then his speed line, then the foreground. That is a f- amazing panel. So some of this still, I, I've heard you guys talk about the impact of uh, the influence of anime style. And at the time, you know, Matt has even talked about how he played with that for a while and then ended up moving away. But when we see yeah. some of these things here. Do you think this is more classic comic or some, do you still see some anime influences in some of the things he's doing here? I think that if he was bringing more manga influence, we'd see slanted panels. Well, well, faces and, and figures way less anime style yeah. than the first three Grendels for sure because mm-hmm. and especially Grendel number one where you get that figure of Epi with or sorry figure <laughs> of uh, Eddie with the big feet and the skinny legs you know that is yeah. like the peak manga this looks like standard like uh you know Marvel workmanship Salbusema you know Silver Age fight stuff yeah you know yeah very yeah. cool, oh, well, and then this continues again. This is a this yeah, is a fight far, right? scene that uh, we get more of those great uh, onomatopoeia here, um, yeah. as you referenced the crunch, the oof, the pop, and finally we get this moment where it's been there all all along. But just in case you missed it, Kevin notices you know the uh, the grackle flint spike on the elbow. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't get him right there. He kind of like dodges it or something. Right? This is a great sequence. Yeah. Like the timing and spacing and choreography. First two panels, very little contrast. And then third panel, you have a beautiful contrast. red. Yeah, yeah. The, the original all contrast, all movement. And then the extra like little ticks. They look like it, it looks like an animation arc, oh, yeah. you know, on his on his elbow. One of one of the best sequences in the book so far. Yeah. Yeah, that right there you're referring to where he's just mm-hmm. avoiding it coming up. All right, creep. So yeah, funny. It's so funny, though. Panel two on the next page in the Kamiko. You know, it's these orange marker, black background, all this stuff, and then in the image, it's just it's straight white. I mean, this is a very, very different it's a page. Big here. difference in yeah decision there. A lot I, of different decisions. I wonder how much Jeremy worked with Matt on this, because I mean, I know for my own work. All I see are the mistakes, and all my head can do is think of the way to fix them. So I, w- I wonder if you know Matt went page by page with Jeremy Cox to just be like, get this orange out of here. Well, like one that. thing to question is because this was coming out during Mage Two, so oh, had was it that Jeremy Cox had three issues of Mage Two under his belt when he came onto this, oh, so or was this the pilot? You know, which one? was the pilot to, to seal him into this. Got it, yeah. I, and also, he does a fantastic job on Mage 2. Right, for sure. Definitely. Oh, and it creates thing. a continuity. I mean, it creates That's a right. covering continuity. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So right, well, this, this here prefigures, what I love about this is we also get a prefigure uh, or a foreshadowing. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, this board, it's great. It's there inside an alleyway. You'd have it at hand. But, um, you know, additionally, 
it sure as heck works like a bat um, as well here. So I think, you know, tiny foreshadowing things. Um, And, you know, Matt always talks about how when he comes back to Mage, it's a Zen process and he doesn't know what he's going to write. But I get the feeling with this first one, it's it was a very different experience. Um, Again, going back to a discussion uh, um, from Bob Pinaha. Pinaha? Yeah, Pinaha, I think. Pinaha. So when call, he talks about... Bob P. <laughs> Bob P. There we go. Yeah. Um, hey, it's, names are important, man. They are. They are. Uh, I, I don't want to slight somebody by mauling their name, but unfortunately, it's the curse of my life. Um, so he mentions that when he first got the script, it sat around for a while. And it was a good thing it sat around for a while because actually um, the name Grackleflint changed after he had it for a few days, he got a uh, message from Matt changing what the Grackle Flints were being called to its final, to its final form. Mm. But um, he also mentions that when they first talked before he got the script, Matt talked him through the story, the fifth, the entire, you know, I'm sure things changed and details changed along the way, but it certainly sounds like Matt came into the first series with a plan for here's where we're starting. Here's where we're going. This is how it's going to end. And then the other two, he was able to take that Zen approach with. But um, so, you know, I think, I think this is a great bit of foreshadowing. I think in the next issue, we get a, a great bit of uh, foreshadowing as well. Um, any thoughts about what's happening here, art style wise? I mean, the decisions here to go, there's a lot of heavy shadowing. And yeah. I think this is interesting that so much happens with shadows as opposed to, uh, I mean, it's not like Matt can't do, you know, can't do faces and details. What What do you think of this artistic choice here? Um, I mean, it's very interesting. Now, looking back and forth, especially in panel three on the Wham page there, in the Kimiko, it's kind of like a, you know, a bust painting type of thing. No, no bounding line. Right. No, yeah, no bound. Well, there is a bounding line. But um, still, in the image, they finish out the shoulders and finish out the figure which is interesting and they do a whole new bolt so there is some changes you know what i'm really interested in too in this frame is the victim how he knows it's a grackle flint who is he how does he have any connection and no is he some sort of hero as well did he have some sort of power and and you know we just kind of see him fade and be gone can we talk spoilers yeah. Yeah. Can we talk spoilers? Go for right, it. So the, the so the grapple flints are going after. So so how much how important is Arthurian having Arthurian legend under your belt? How significant is that to really feeling this story out? Because they're going after the Fisher King, who is lame, so they're attacking all the all the bums. Oh okay. that's that's what's going on. But there's been three people that have showed up. Yeah, man, the shadows are all super dramatic and heavy. It's got like, yeah, I love this last one on the spread where where the grackle flint runs off into gutter space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, really cool. Yeah, and I think you know, I, I mean, storyline wise, it's certainly addressed that. I mean, that's what they're doing. They're going off, and anybody who might possibly help oh, Kevin he discover who he is or aid him in his fight, potential allies are being taken out one by yeah. one. Well, he's but, Mirth, more than... but Mirth has legs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Well, it's got to be some something more than a bum, or else how would he know what a grackle flint even is? Oh, that's right. true. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Who's to say? Anyway, Kevin doesn't care that much because he makes a payphone call to nine one one and then goes home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, then he does. I mean, now he's like, well, what do I, what do I do? And uh, he uh, he gets rid of any responsibility. Yeah. Any Once the action cools down, the cynicism comes back. But well, so I think it's kind of like. Okay. Good. Go yeah. ahead, man. Oh, okay. Well, I, I was just feeling it was like one of those things where you're like, you're, you're wrapped up in this thing. You feel like, oh my God, I am dealing with something far beyond like our normal realm of understanding. But then now all of a sudden it's over and I'm back to reality. And now, now what do I do? I guess I call the police and report the crime. And then he's well, like, and he, yeah. And he has to deal with two crazy things that happened. One, did yeah. I really punch a hole in a wall? Two, what the heck was that thing that I just fought? And, you know, the mind seeks some equilibrium also. And look, right. these first few episodes, I mean, it goes on throughout the in- entire story, um, but especially in these first two issues, and this one here, Hero's Journey, we have meeting the mentor, he meets Mirth, and refusal of the call. Now, one could argue that a vast majority of Kevin's experience is one long drawn out refusal of the call that he just begrudgingly gives into because as I mentioned with heroes earlier is he's still surrounded by these experiences, you know, whether he wants to be or not. So he has to take some kind of action or be swallowed by them. But I don't think he really accepted it until um, the the end, the very end of the all three series. So we see the very first, I mean, these are the first signs of refusing the call. Um, I'm just going to try and completely, how do I explain it away? What's going on? Um, am I being loony? Am I cynic? I, I, I live through this and I don't believe it. And we switch on over and we get to see our mysterious adversary. And, you know, the little symbolism about games is the first kind of game symbol that shows up in here, picking up a, a die and squeezing it. And that other people are aware of Kevin Matchstick. And that Whatever. now he's got some power with him and, you know, looking out, looking out, brooding over the landscape in response to this that just happened. Exactly. What I really like about this page is that it does something that typically I don't like to do, which is it changes scenes mid-page. Uh, yeah. But because the top tier is a, you know, four panel sequence and it's balanced by the bottom, it works really elegantly. Yeah. And carries over onto the, the, next, yeah, page. the next page. Yeah. And, and then cuts back to Kevin. Asking Where he even question. straight up calls out Captain Marvel. So, like. mm. Yeah, right. Next I'm playing Captain Marvel. So, yeah. So, we were t- you were talking about these, uh, these split scenes, splitting scenes here um, between what's going on with our protagonist and this mysterious antagonist. We've got yeah, no so idea. It's the going. first time that the camera leaves Kevin and... 13 pages. That's right. Yeah. And then he, and I don't know if you caught it, but you know, he says he's playing Captain Marvel, much like, you know, the interview you said, how he wanted to capture his childhood joy uh, on the shirt. So, you know, he, and he's not talking Carol Danvers or Marvell. He's talking uh, the man who yells Shazam. Yeah. The other one. Yeah. The boy. Yeah, Billy Batson. He's a boy. The boy. Did you know that? I did, yes, Billy Batson. Uh, big, uh, I like when Elvis dresses like Captain Marvel in, in Vegas. I, I wish Rocco Jerome would do a Elvis <laughs> Captain Marvel Jr. kind of matchup. Wow. But Kevin's question on the next page when he enters the apartment, he's talking about all the issues that he's having. Uh, memory lapses, uh, creature fights, acting in a way that I know isn't me. 
And the punchline to that is very cynical. I feel pretty lousy about the whole thing. It's I feel very, lousy. I think it's funny. Yeah. Yeah. And he walks in. He's about to sit in his TV chair, but who's waiting for him there? Mirth. And I love it, too, how he's like, you know, I'm not really surprised. It makes sense you're here. Yeah, and it's a nice call out earlier to Tom Savini's workshop. Right. Um, and yeah, I'm not too surprised. And this is this is another great kind of thing I don't think I'd ever seen anywhere else here. Mirth, just a nice little simple display of Mirth's magic right. with um, Kevin's, you know, we see those great reaction shots there. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy Cox with the motion blurs and the, and the color holds on yeah. the Rubik's Cube mm -hmm. is another... Huge win for the baby color deck. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, he, he turns the black like motion that Matt originally did. He turns them white. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and we get it. I mean, also just the total change from the markers being used on the windows to the smooth gradients. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think exactly. when we when I lost you guys, I was mentioning that you know, for people who might not be familiar, the whole reason, this wasn't just a reprint done with new colors for the sake of doing new colors. When Kamiko went bankrupt, a lot of this original art or all the original printing materials that were used for printing were just lost. So all of it had to be recolored. Right. And much so, of it's, if I'm not mistaken, scanned like directly from comic pages that were out. If they didn't have the original art, they just, they had to scan the comic itself, right? And take the color out manually. Yeah, that, that must account for some of the fuzzier. Yeah, that's why there's some loss edition. in some of the black and yeah. some of the minute, minute details that Matt does. Another thing that um, Jeremy Cox changes is on the next page, Murph solves, the Rubik's, solves the Rubik's Cube. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, like, he's just holding it and, and the colors change to be solved. This is this is probably his best job that we've looked at. Of Jeremy Cox. Yeah. yeah. Where, he, where, he's, where he's actually, like helping to tell the story in, in ways that are that are tangible yeah it's nice yeah, being able to get, having the character modeled after yourself like i feel like we're, we're seeing like in the mirror look in the mirror yeah. yeah like some of these are great you know i'm not i am mirth i'm not laughing no no who's on first my name is mirth i'm still not laughing. <laughs> yeah. you're very confused good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> so yeah they they do have a good conversation here and i like then kevin's just like how do you know this? What the hell is happening here? This is another like set design, like on stage. Like it's, this is like you're sitting in like a balcony seat. Mm -hmm. This is an enormous apartment with nothing in it. Yes, right. <laughs> super high. Yeah, the camera's getting it's fifteen feet off the ground. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right, so you... I mean, between between the street scene with an alley next to it, uh, an office, and a living yeah. room. Um, and this look, this just this body language here, you know, we don't we don't see much in the way of detail, but this complete resignation and mm -hmm. overwhelm that we yeah, see where, where he says to start what or who is a grackle foot. I'm also, also interested, like what tools are Matt using to get these big, these big, heavy background lines that he's using in every like panel? Is this kind of brush or a marker? Oh, I don't know either, yeah, it's but like, it's, yeah, it's, it's a brush. steady throughout. You know, he's got these, sure. you were calling them carrots or? Carrots are the zigzags. Oh, okay. oh, there's open carrots and empty carrots. Oh, yeah. yeah, cool. All right, well, they, yeah, they continue. He's just kind of late. This is the this is the info dump panel. The, right? Yeah, this and is the like, exposition. This is yeah. what the heck is going on. 
And we get a few of these early on. I mean, these these first few. You need them. You, you got to have them. Yeah. That's what yeah. the book's about. Yeah. You got to lay that groundwork. Kevin's one-word responses are just, he's like uh, exhausted. And all right, well, I mean, you're here. You're showing me magic. <laughs> what do right, you have to evil, say? spur, power. Yeah. I'll just remember those things. <laughs> We're going to do this. Yeah. Well, and he's kind of, he's, he's also our, the audience stand in too. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, okay. He's being overwhelmed. And, and this is just a nice comedic touch with Mer- we we get two kind of uh bumps right we get we get the first comedic beat here with him leaving through the door and being called out by Kevin and just how the hell did you make this door open yeah so lightening things up right you know we need to we've got a lot of heavy information going on so a little bit of comedy to to leaven that yeah, and like he didn't need to even use the door. He obviously didn't get in through the door. I mean, maybe he did, but you know, I envision him just poofing in. I really wish it would it would show on this page a panel of the door closed. Of the door closed, yeah. like one more panel. Yeah, just there's very closed. few panels of the door. There's but come on, next closed. page. I love this gag too. Well, wait, like, wait a second before we get uh, before okay. we get to that. Just you know, storyline wise here, yeah. you know, the whole question about just what is a grackle flint. So just laying out. Oh, yeah. And I know this is a reread and people pretty, you know, pretty much already know here. What is but, a grackle? You know, what's a grackle flint? Yeah, even just looking at what what's been bolded here, right? Strongest agent, greatest power of evil seen in some time. Uh talking about, you know, their features that the spur is extremely dangerous and yeah, you know, we get this mention here, the first mention of your power, right? Beware of it, mm. your power. Uh, can't combat its poison. So he doesn't say he doesn't say poison. You know, it's like power. There, and I think he's so overwhelmed. He's he not even, even saying what power. What are you talking? My about? power? Yeah, it doesn't even register. Yeah, um, that doesn't stop Mirth from going on and making <laughs> making a whole heck of a lot of assumptions. Again, you can do this in comics. I do think. I wonder. You could do it on stage in a movie. It might play a little bit forced because Mirth would almost come across as a bit fanatical, right? Yeah. Your power. Uh, with it in my magic, she we shall crush this menace. So he's already being recruited uh, from his. You know, uh, yeah, from he's his part person. of it. Hey, Kev, you don't have a a history. There's no uh, grackle flints in history or anything, or that's a sheer Matt Wagner creation. I think he came on up with it. There's some discussion that Matt has about how he came up with the names. The kind of you know he was looking for something with you know these hard kind of sounds kind of mixed gray with something having to do with, you know, uh, implying like crows and uh, that kind of, yeah, and ravens and, and that kind of thing. Sure. But I don't think there's a, a mythological analog that I'm aware of that's been mentioned. Fits in perfectly. Yeah. This is also uh, like one of few straight grids. Straight book uses. Oh, yeah. It has a height and that humor and, and that rhythm. And stuff like that. Yeah. When, when you don't use the grid as much, especially a six panel grid like this, you're going from different stuff. It really paces it out to give you the humor beats. And that's like why the humor hits. So yeah, well. for sure, man. definitely was read lettered too. Now that I'm looking at it a little bit more. So you're talking about this six panel grid right here where they're kind of driving yeah. the dialogue with that. Yeah. The door. Yeah. Cool. Dude. And then I just love this. He slams it. He thinks he's over and he's coming back and Murph is just like back in the chair again. He's like, yeah. You know, be careful. And like later, remember I said the the spur, you know, again, like you said, Matt laying it down. I feel like he always does lay a few things out in those first issues that are going to hit in like issue 15. You got to get the narrative balls up in there so that when you need them. 
Yeah, they've yeah. already established them. Yeah. Exactly. And they're not just some they're not just some strange looking guys with this physical feature. There's an extra there's an extra reason. You don't just want to get poked by it because there's gonna be a bad effect, as we as we see later. Yeah. And he again says he really feels lousy about all this, and then he wakes up, but he thinks it's just another lousy dream. It's a it's a beautiful three panel sequence where there's each panel, though the camera doesn't move, advances the narrative by introducing new motions, emotions, and narrative elements. Yeah. Really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, we have that happening over here with Mirth, everything happening nicely with Mirth, which pretty much all stays the same, telling yeah, a nice story with only the motion, and then picking up with the alarm clock the next day. And this kind of fits in, again, rejecting the call. This, you know, he goes from walking home saying, this was all a crazy dream. I have no idea what's happening to now. It's the great reset of the next morning. I can right. just, everything that I'm thinking of, that couldn't have been real. It could have been real. But like my body hurts. My body aches. Right. And Christ, I look like hell. He gives himself a little uh, psych 101 self-analysis. And we do, what we don't see is off the camera here where he opens up his closet and it's just all black t-shirts with lightning bolts on it and all just green pants. <laughs> right. His, he only has one shirt. But a well, he's a, well, he's a cart they, they are cartoon characters in that way. Yeah. You know? like Homer. They, they dress the same way. <laughs> so, all right. That's, that's an efficiency. That's, that's daily efficiency. In exactly, action. yeah. You don't have to think too much. So Kevin Matchstick gave it to Steve Jobs, who may have gotten <laughs> exactly. it from, what is it? They said Einstein used to go ahead and take that same effect, didn't care about his, uh, didn't care about socks, but you don't have to waste time thinking. Uh, that's true. It takes uh, me a while to pick what shirt I'm going to wear in the morning for sure. So uh, so here, as you said, Ben, I mean, yeah, he's kind of self-analyzing himself. What's the grackle flint? You know, <laughs> where's the mother image? Maybe mirth. Uh, you know, yeah. Heads on down. And I'm thinking, so let's think about what happens in later, um, in later in the story. He goes down into this empty subway station, even calls it out. I've never seen it so deserted yeah. before. Kind of creepy. And he gets onto the subway train. And, um, you know, as we're going to see here, there's only three other, you know, entities on the train. It's three other, you know, Grackle Flints. Later in, um, in Hero Defined, and then much more significantly in Hero Denied, Kevin is moving in and out of the, you know, the fairy realms, uh, right. more or less at will. And... You know, when I was reading through this the other day, I was thinking, well, what's what's a possible explanation here? Um, and maybe I'm just reaching again. It could just be easier to draw, keep right, it man. keep it simple, let the fight happen without a bunch of people. But this is morning rush hour time. I mean, he got up at 7.30. So where is yeah. everybody? I, I kind of wonder right. if he's, yeah. you know, kind yeah. of stepped also, in between. Right. That's interesting. It also lends itself more to this, like, it looks like theater kind yeah. of thing. Because, yeah. like, you, you don't, like, sometimes have extras in theater, but it's really just... Let's focus on on who's here. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he definitely goes to the side of reality. <laughs> because when he busts out in issue two, then I think he busts back into the real world and walks up and gets on the subway platform and there's people, there's normal folks. Right. Like, and their oh. reactions aren't like cataclysmic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's like, it's got to be, you're, you got to be right, Kev. Yeah, and I mean, it might not have even... This could also just be, let's add a story element and explanation to something that just wasn't there to begin with. I'm not sure there's Probably. any author's intent there, but just trying to look at 
you know, explain the situation here of this is just Kevin walking along again, all these thought, all these thought bubbles, right? That otherwise, if we don't have narration captions, all we're doing is watching a silent movie and yeah. we need to kind Which of- Which it takes up. that form in the next few days. Well, right, I mean, so here we get back to, to action. Yeah. The only, the only issue I've ever had, it always sticks out to me is this, is this, is this choice for how to count three. Um, it's always struck me. I don't know. I've heard somebody, I think that might actually be tied to a particular um, a way of counting three. Uh, so just that always. Oh, not starting on your thumb, you mean? Not starting on your thumb, pulling <laughs> out those fingers. Um, I don't know. I've tried to do it at times. I can't. I cannot no. do that. <laughs> oh, I don't start with my thumb when I count either. But it's not a. Do you, the, I would be like that. You don't have a. a oh, Eli does it like Kevin. But it's not a, a storytelling issue. Like he's telegraphing his fear and shock and surprise. He knows their graphical friends. He's recognized the spur. He sees it. He reacts closer, closer, closer. Mm -hmm. More intense. Oh, shit. Here we and go. And then he wonks them. Yeah, no. And this is all great because you, again, yeah, you get this. It's very cinematic. Uh, we get that. We get that connection, right? He's looking. He sees. He's looking. He focuses in. Um, you know, this here. I mean, everything happening right here was a was a huge breakthrough in cinema when you know it was first decided that gosh, if I show a picture of your eye and I show a picture of something, we can create a connection between the two of them. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's great to see that happening. He then notices, gosh, th those don't look like regular folks. And there's another, but. <laughs> Gets right into it. Love that big wonk. Yeah, and the you next know. page, the effects are really going for it, man. Especially that pow. Bring that up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So good. This is yeah. probably one of the panels that's most similar across editions. Right. It's like, he said, okay, this is what you're doing. Let me really try to. Except they got the speed or they got the, the motion blur on panel oh, three, yeah. which is interesting. That kind of looks cool. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't mind. So, you know, if you want to complain about that complaint, they do it twice on the spread, right? There's which two is, motion which is kind of funny, but it's the most, it's, it's a three on one fight. So it is the, it is the climax of most exciting moments. Yeah. Digging it. He knows he's got he's got two choices. He's got the spur or get on out. Yeah. Spur so the track. Just jumps. Right. And, you know, it's, and just because I've got them both up on the screen here now. Interesting changes in the use of color. Yeah. Um, and much like, you know, again, we get rid of those marker backgrounds, which you know, again, when they scanned them in, probably from the comic artwork, maybe that just was really hard to replicate. And it was, okay, we don't need to. We don't need to go ahead and uh, show motion that way. My favorite part of this sequence is the center tier, panels uh, two through five, where two and three are conjoined without a gutter. Then there's a gutter and, and then uh, a symmetrical sequence. So one and two, three and four. No gutter, gutter divides them. Right, like he's looking to the right and then he's looking yeah. to the left. That's that's yeah. that's what I like about Matt's work. Yeah. Is that there's, it's very easy to interpret the body language that he puts into the layout and the form for how you're supposed to pace the story and identify with the character. I love it. And again, just, you know, yeah, very cinematic. You can feel the, you can, you can feel it flow uh, and no, and no dialogue at all right i mean they've yeah. got no reason to say anything he's got no reason to say anything this is just a battle that takes place like the other one just with in pure silence 
Mm-hmm. And then we he get just, that last big crash right out. himself out. And so he it's, smashes it's oncoming train there, traffic. <laughs> you got a sweet Grendel hat here going on. Yeah, that's wild to think that they were coming out concurrently. Like only what a workhorse. Too. Yeah, man. That's crazy. Yeah, it's still another issue to do. So maybe all Grendel was in the can already. Yeah. Because oh, when yeah. the evangel like the evan- it sounds like the Evangeline gang printing yeah. opportunity happened really quickly. Exactly. It's like all right, we gotta do something new we right now. To color. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. interesting too, it says TMN copyright nineteen eighty three Matt Wagner and Kamiko, which goes on, which foreshadows some of the issues there. Right. Here my troubles begin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean also a, a for all the troubles, uh, a much better deal than was typical. I mean Matt is Matt is unique from what I've seen or read in the industry at that time because, and, and maybe the other Kamiko artists, because they were co-owners of their work, which, right. you know, you get into right around this time or shortly thereafter. Well, actually, I think it was really big around the 90s when Mage 2 was coming out, when there were all those big legal pushes to give Kirby, you right. know, rights yeah. to his work and so forth. And uh, then just here, I love just looking at the old ads for yeah, um, we always do. Yeah. for all these things here. And then we've got the ad there for Evangeline. And comics interview ad, that's interesting. They don't advertise too much further in, uh... in Kamika. Yeah, they don't. I don't know if that is. Yeah, right. Calling out Simonson there. And then, yeah, so... Um, what a niche. What a good start to, to an amazing podcast journey. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, gosh, I don't know. So there's um, there's all sorts of other places to go with this. Guys, thanks for joining me. Is there any other thoughts you had about this? I think I think I was really being very Pollyanna I um, when I was thinking, gosh, I don't know. There's so little. It feels in many ways when I was first looking at it, and I've just read this so many times over the years. I was like, I don't know, man. Issue one, what to say. And I think that's also because I've got a very, you know, again, I typically have a very narrative, you know, and what's going on maybe in the text and the subtext kind of approach. Um, I wasn't sure that there was going to be enough to say about issue one to cover a nice chunky episode. Oh. I was thinking, oh, yeah. Maybe we should talk about two. I think that's out the window for now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I so mean, it's, two is great. I had to, I had to like read them both together because it's such a, it's such a um, like cliffhanger. It's like, oh my gosh! I was like, I'm sitting here, I'm reading. I might as well just go get it, just go read. So this podcast is brought to you by Cherry Coke, the preferred beverage of heroes everywhere. <laughs> Cherry Absolutely. Coke. Absolutely. we I get a, we get a great call out. I'm just gonna gonna throw it out now, anyways, because after this next scene plays out, he's uh, talking about calling into work, mm-hmm. you know, talking to Cooch, you know, and that's Cuchinata. Oh, I was um, thinking that, yeah. Over at Kamiko. So, you know, nice little inside joke kind of. Uh, kind of Kevin's day job is that he's an anchor yeah, at Kamiko. Yeah, just like Steve Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's funny. Well, cool, guys. Hey, thanks for joining me. Um, yeah. everybody, thanks for having us, Kev. This is going to be, I, I don't know when the next one's going to drop. I think, honestly, this is going to be either bi-weekly or monthly. Um, I will say this. Um, love to have you guys back. Anytime. I mean, the 
insights and references and thoughts that you have about what's going on on panel, off panel, the influences and the changes in the artwork is just golden. It's what drives so much of, you know, the what's so great about the, the Devil in Detail uh, podcast, Thanks, uh, which anybody who's listening to this or watching this, if you are not listening to that, just go get some Omnibuy if you haven't read any Grendel and just start taking that journey. It's amazing. It's an amazing podcast and you've just had some great episodes and interviews on there. Uh, anything else you want to close on out to let people know the exact places where they can find you guys? Well, just the devil in detail is on iTunes or Apple podcast. It's on Spotify. It's really anywhere you get your podcast, but we also have the podcast version, which is on uh, my YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Eli Schwab, I guess, Eli dot Schwab. I don't know, but just, just Google search the devil in detail or YouTube search the devil in detail. It's all there. We got great interviews with uh, a few times with Matt. We got Brennan, um, Diana Schutz, Tim Sale. Everybody. Yeah. We just did an interview yesterday with Joe Matt. We spent the whole day with Joe Matt. It was pretty amazing. Wow. Yeah. And um, you can buy our books at cosmiclineproductions.com. There's zines and Squarebound magazines and Eli's comics and Arcane, which we work on together. Yeah. You can find my books at bengranoff slash gumroad. .com. All right. And great. Yeah. Great work. Th guys, thanks so much for joining me. Hope we get a chance to do this again. Me and um, anybody watching this, hope you've enjoyed. We'll just keep this on going on as, uh, as long as we can. There's at least going to be, well, I don't know, 30. 29 more, tw 29 yeah, yeah, more 29. episodes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Plus a zero issue. Oh, that's true. Zero, actually, two zero issues because yeah. we could, you know, we could put together the uh, the first interlude and um, and yeah, the second there one. There you yeah, go. There you go. All right. Thanks for us, everybody. I mean, and until next hey. time, you know, magic is green. Guy, what magic were you going to say there, guys? I was going to say Vivat Grendel, but then I was like, no, no, no. Magic is green. Vivat Grendel, indeed.